It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HR recruiters, and one actor as we try to navigate the world of business and make it a little friendlier and more profitable for the organization, uh, but doing it in a friendly manner. But today, Jeremy, as we continue doing some spring cleaning, we're going to look at re-energizing your teams, refreshing them, getting them a fresh start, especially I imagine if we have a team that's a little dysfunctional. I cut out for a second, but I think I could tell where you were going with that, Tom. So, yes, on the topic of re-engaging teams, something that stuck out of my mind uh, with this is how do we how do we finally realize where we're at in terms of a state of dissatisfaction with this current state, whether you're in a team or whether you're leading teams? And when is it time to do something? There's an interesting, there's a book called The Willpower Instinct. It's a very interesting book with lots and lots of studies and, and practical implications of these studies related to willpower. It's a very good read. And I remembered one in there where there was a study of people that were trying, it was a smoking cessation study. And from what I recall, the method that helped these smokers actually stop was basically reducing the ability to change your mind reducing the ability to not follow through. So if somebody says, okay, I'm going to have 10 cigarettes today, then they they have to have 10 cigarettes tomorrow as well. So they have to continue to stick to what they have rather than reducing. So only by reduce, so they basically, they can't say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll have 10 today, but fewer tomorrow. So whatever, uh, the book title is called The Willpower Instinct. Somebody asked, The Willpower Instinct. It is a yellow book. 
and I'll, and I'll try. <laughs> it's a yellow book. I'll try Jeremy. To remember who the author is soon. It's by somebody. It's by a female uh, PhD. That's what I do recall. The idea is how do we reduce our ability to say, I'm going to wait and I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow. And this, this method actually worked because you can't just say, I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow because you keep, we keep saying that the whole idea with re-engaging and re- refresh, refreshing your team, which is the topic for today is if your team needs refreshed, don't now's the time. Don't keep putting it off. And how can you keep yourself from putting it off? Because we're talking about a team, because we're talking about re-engaging the team, the good news is you have a team to help you with that. And if the team, if you're on the outside seeing that the team could be uh, re-engaged and refresh, I'm going to guess, big wild guess that they are actually feeling it because you are seeing it and they might be willing participants. Thank you, Laura. Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal, 2001. No, 2011 was the year of the book. So the question I have for everyone today, well, I have multiple questions, but some things to get us started. What are some of the things that haven't been working in reality, how do how can we take a realistic look? How can we look at think think to yourself, what is the actual realistic nature of your team? Not the rosy look, not the I wish it will be, or it was, and you hang on to that. Right now, as it sits, what is going on with your team? What is the good? What is the not so good? And what can be done? In a perfect world, these are other questions. In a perfect world, what would happen tomorrow that would change the team? And in a perfect world, how would the team change? How can each member of that team play a role that they want to play in order to make the team better? In other words, what needs to happen? How does the how how does each team member member need each other so that it's just not one person? working on the relationship we've seen in movies where there is a there's a relationship and there's a couple and one person says it feels like i'm the only one working on this relationship so we can't have that if we're talking about teams as well so those are some questions to get us started for the discussion today tom well jeremy let me let me bring some real life into this because you know here's an example of some some of the things that i've seen um and and to me, the 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 issue is coming down to, well, here, let, let me tell you the story about, you know, a team that I observed where really nice people, they all work together well, but, you know, there's a team, there's a leader in place who, you know, this person has proven themselves in the company, they've progressed upwards, they're now in a position of leadership with very little leadership training. I mean, I, I, I'm one of those people who goes, if you just read a book on leadership, that's a good first step, but that's not really leadership training. You really need needs an expert to come in and, and guide the team. So here's a team that, you know, they're working well together, but there is division amongst the team. The leader is, is not really maybe has the skill sets to lead. Um, there's division within the team. The leader seems to be on you know, the side of some of the team, they're working well together. And the rest of the team is just keeping their heads down and keeping their mouths shut because they can actually get work done that way. 
but they're not happy in the team. They feel like they're working against the team because they can't feel, or at least they feel like they can't be open and they can't discuss something like leadership. Here's a team that really needs to get re-energized, needs to get reorganized, but I just don't think the team has the skill level to get the work done. What do you mean? Okay. You said to get the work done. Well, there is, there's very little team in team, except that, you know, they are a team because they have to work together, but they're not working efficiently as a team. There are members who don't feel like they're as much part of the team as the other half of the team, you know, that creates some divisions. And then when, you know, push comes to shove, it's those people who aren't, you know, on the good side of the leader who are getting shoved out. I love it. And that's where it's taken a look at what is the actual reality of the situation. How, how is each team member? Because part of it's going to be part of it's going to be leadership. Even those who say, look, I'm not even that great at leadership. I don't even want to manage. It's tough. Some people say it feels like I'm managing a bunch of children, but these are things that we can change with perspective. And also with the team members are going to be more willing to help to, to help out when they're, when they feel empowered, when they know that it's okay to come with suggestions. And, and again, these are you know, fairly, uh, these are leadership skills to be able to communicate that. So they have, the team has to know that, look, we're working on this. We're working on making our team better for ourselves for better tomorrows than there are today's. We're empowered. We can bring suggestions, even giving those team members a little bit more of attention, of positive attention can be helpful. And you bring this back to how much is attention worth, even with, with kids. We know that sometimes kids exhibit negative behaviors to get the attention, even if it's negative attention, because guess what? Mom or dad uh, giving me a timeout or pulling me aside to talk to me, even though I'm in trouble, is that's providing me with attention. So attention is very important. Same in the workplace, even giving your employees a little bit more of attention, asking them about what they think about projects, these very simple things. It's not, leadership is very tough. It's extremely tough. And I'm also going to say that leadership is extremely easy. It's very easy. Leadership is tough because it. we oftentimes make it to be more of a, a project or an event. And it's scary sometimes because we have to understand we have to at least uh, under, try to understand where people are coming from. We have to take their perspectives. And by nature, that's not that easy for us. And also, but also by nature, it is something that can easily be done because it doesn't take that much to give someone a little attention <laughs> or to say, hey, good work on this. Or uh, I'm having this particular difficulty or challenge. Could you could you help me with this? Or what do you see with our team that could be better? What do you see with the interactions? What do you see with our productivity? How have we as a team been working every day to dip in to those hidden talents that all of you have? When each of you started working here, what did you expect versus what are you experiencing? Get them down to the basics. And if you don't have that grade of trust with your team, you can never go wrong with asking questions. People love to feel heard and understood. We've said that, I think, maybe once before, 
Um, so people love to feel heard and understood and simply by asking them questions, but don't fall into that trap. If you're of the leader of then being a judger McJudgerson, when they do provide feedback, don't be judgmental about that feedback, be open to the experience and be open to the feedback, but ask some good questions that get back to the basics, Tom. So is it fair to say, because when I'm looking at teams and people who lead teams, they want to be managers, not leaders. And they're, they're in the position of, hey, the team is getting the work done and they may hate me, but they're getting the work done. And my boss likes the fact that get, the work is getting done. And that person's boss likes the fact that the work is getting done. But my team is about to quit because they don't like the way that I am managing them. What it sounds like is you're describing how managers can actually go from just managing to leading and actually reinvigorate that team because even though they might not like me, I know that they're good people and I know that they get the work done. Can I, as a person who leads a team, listen to this episode and go, okay, I can shift into leadership? Yes. Asking through those things and through those questions. And I will add that if it is a little scary to get into the leadership aspect, you can still consider this as managing because what is the whole idea of managing? Keeping things on course on par, making sure nothing goes wrong. And how can you make sure nothing goes wrong if people follow procedure, if people showing up on time, if you're not having a bunch of conflict that derails. So you can look at this even two-pronged of practicing management, of practicing management while dipping your toe into the ever so blue water pool of leadership. And the water is warm. Jump on in. Uh, Maria, let's go to you. Thank you. Um, You know, Dr. Jeremy mentioned the word attention. um, And we know that just like children, right, uh, negative attention is also recognized. And I think one of the things that leaders really need to think about is what you're saying in a group meeting and how you're behaving with an individual one-on-one has so much more impact than you know. And if you're only reacting to a um, an employee when you're one-on-one with, and sharing only the negative aspects of what they're doing, how they're not doing something right, and yet in the team meetings, you're talking about what a wonderful team it is, you're sending such mixed messages that people don't know what to do with that. And, you know, I've seen it in many different industries um, and, you know, it's just very sad to see. Um, you know, to watch people, even when a leader walks through a, you know, a particular area and just walks through and doesn't turn left or right and say hello, you don't have to stop and ask how their weekend was, Um, but just a simple smile and a hello, how are you? Or just hello, if you don't want to engage, but you're recognizing that person, you're seeing them, you know, And, and I think the attention piece is often lost on leaders because they're so busy and, you know, they may care, but they're afraid to engage because if they engage, they may hear something else that they have to work on, or they may, you know, not like what they might have to do, or they just don't know how to lead. Yeah. And I think, I think we're sort of getting to the crux of things. Uh, Dr. Ariana, if you're available, I'd love to go to you because, you know, with your experience, you're kind of on the front line of this working with organizations and looking at their teams. Is there something you can add to this with your own experience? Hi, Tom. I'll do my best. Sorry, I've had some connectivity challenges today. But yeah, I think that what we've been talking about is spot on. We have to create 
environments of trust and psychological safety. And there's many ways of doing that. But I think congruency from the leader and what they're asking for from the team and what they're giving attention supports the rewards and recognition of the system, Um, having those tie-ins to the organizational level. But at the end of the day, there is a lot of elements of compassion and care and attention, like what's already been said. So there are many leaders who get almost a little egoic in their leadership and get really excited and feel like they're now head honcho and use that as an opportunity to not give the attention that is needed to the team. They may ignore emails or not necessarily take the time out of their day to walk around if it's an on-site and say hello to people. And those are the things that people notice and may not feel recognized for. And if they're not feeling recognized and seen in an organization, they'll be tempted to find another place that does value them. So I think it's a lot of the topics we've talked about before, but just continue to create those feedback loops that help employees understand why it's important that their contributions are present and how that contributes to the team success and organizational success. All right, Linda, Anna, thank you very much for that, Dr. Ariana. Linda, Anna, I'd like to go to you next because Dr. Ariana raises a really good point of employees being appreciated, uh, especially by leadership. It, do we have a, a gap there? that leaders just look at their employees as pawns that can be easily replaced and they're not actually appreciating the work that they're doing. Well, I think there, there is a gap, you know, and and otherwise we wouldn't have so much, so many issues of disengagement and turnover and things like that. Uh, I think it's, it takes a bit to, to create that appreciative environment. And we're talking about, well, leaders who want to re-engage their employees and, and so forth and, and refresh their teams. Well, if you've got a leader with a team who is disengaged, then the leader needs to be able to look at themselves and really decide that they want to do something to, to change the, the way that the team is interacting because it didn't get disengaged by itself. The way to get them re-engaged is really to do what the initial engagement process is. It's not, there's not something different for re-engagement than there was for initial engagement. And so one way to start, well, Jeremy had had mentioned asking questions, but again, the, the trick in that is you can ask questions, but if you don't really want to know the answer or not willing to do anything about the answer, just don't ask the questions either, you know, because it, that even that creates more disengagement because they say, why bother even having a conversation with this person? It doesn't matter. I think that if a, if a leader wants to start somewhere, I think that they need to go back to the basic and basics and think about and communicate to the team. What is our purpose here? What are we all working towards? What's that alignment thing that we're trying to get aligned with so that we all feel motivated when we come to work? And I think that's where you need to start. And then you can build from there. Thank you, Ramon, for that. Uh, Brendan, great that you're here, um, because once again, you're on the front lines of this stuff. So go ahead. I think Linda Ann just had a perfect segue into something that I wanted to talk about, with this, which is regards to communication. I think Employees do it. Managers do it. It happens at both levels. So there's this this natural inkling to stay away from certain conversations because we're so scared that we already know what the answer to whatever our question is. And I had a conversation with an employee yesterday where it was like, you want to ask these questions because maybe it's not going to be what you think it is. 
And the other thing you're scared of is that it is going to be what you think it is, but that's a beautiful gift right there because then you have clarity about the future and you know, is this going to work for me? Is this not going to work for me? I think we we shy away from those conversations because we think we know the answers and either confirming that, yes, that is true or no, that's not not at all the case can be so beautiful if we would just accept that communicating is the most important part. I, I've stated this before. Human beings have existed for how long and we still don't know how to talk to each other. Being a being a voice and speech person, people will often ask me if I speak different languages and I'll say, no, I'm still trying to master English. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I just want to continue on this theme of communication and asking questions. I think that is really critical when you're trying to re-energize a team like Linda Ann was saying, understanding what those challenges are, and then a lot of the same tactics for re-energizing are the same as energizing. Are you experiencing disengagement because people are lacking work-life balance and are feeling high pressure and overwhelmed? Are, are they disengaged because they feel a lack of autonomy and freedom to do their jobs how they think is best and they feel micromanaged? Are they lacking connection? Are they feeling low trust? And maybe that low trust is coming from their leaders or senior leaders, creating a toxic environment. Just like anything else kind of in the IO space, I believe that assessment is always a great key starting place. So just talking to your employees, talking about it in a group setting, and then that'll allow you to pinpoint the strategies that are going to be most effective for re-engagement. So if the challenge is being overworked, well, maybe you need to hire someone for your team and that will naturally create a better flow for the team dynamics. But if it's a lack of trust, that that requires a different strategy. So I think that's um, really helpful in the investigation and then hopefully in the problem solving as well. And Jeremy, back to you. Jeremy, you are, your mic's muted. Get out of here, Tom. Really? <laughs> oh, well, uh, you were brilliant, but you know. <laughs> oh, yes. It was fantastic. Uh, what Dr. Ariana was saying um, triggered a couple of things, which ties in directly to uh, a research article for today, which I just put in the chat. You mentioned uh, overworked as one thing, and a lot of the other things you mentioned in here. There's a study which uh, I think provides a very valuable starting point because you mentioned uh, how to pinpoint where to start so that you can create a process for it. This is an article called Building Engagement in the Workplace by uh, Arnold, uh, perhaps Baker. And uh, the reference will be in the description. Definition, because it's always important to define, but here's, here's, here's a different way to look at it. So we look at what engagement is. What, what would happen if we looked at what the opposite of engagement is? So when you look at engagement, I'm, I'm gonna read a little bit, partly verbatim, partly paraphrasing. Research on burnout presumes that the opposite of burnout is actually work engagement. Engagement, And there's different schools of thought on that. Burnout and engagement can't be just completely polar opposites. Burnout can be the erosion of engagement with, with your job, with your team, where the energy that you have turns into exhaustion, involvement turns into cynicism, and efficacy turns into ineffectiveness. So when you look at this view, engagement, when you look at engagement, it's energy, it's involvement, it's professional efficacy. And they, these are direct. Many of you have heard of the, the MBI, the Myers like Burnout Inventory. It's an assessment to measure burnout. But engagement is characterized by energy, involvement, professional efficacy. These are direct opposites of the three burnout dimensions in that particular assessment. 
so we can start to identify because again, it's not, not just providing things. It's also removing barriers to engagement. So it's not just how can we engage, it's how can we remove what could be a polar opposite, which is burnout. But And look at what burnout can mean here when we're talking about a team. Burnout can mean a lot of things. Burnout can mean the stress involved with working with a coworker that you don't enjoy working with. That can lead to decreased energy involvement and professional efficacy, which is leads to burnout because of the mental taxation, the mental taxation of working for a for a supervisor who maybe you don't think is a good advocate for you, maybe doesn't have a clear vision, maybe isn't direct in what they communicate, maybe who, Tom, I always thought that people stealing each other's ideas at work, I always thought, no, that doesn't happen. I thought, no way, it doesn't. But the more, but I've had to change that just because so many people I talk to come and say, my boss took credit for all of my work or my coworker took credit for all my work. I used to think, how could someone do that? What's even the use of that? But anyway, things like that can lead to that. So there's another school of thought that I'll share before turning it back uh, is looking at the work engagement as another way of defining it. Positive, fulfilling work-related state of mind characterized by vigor dedication, and absorption. And think about this when you look in the context of a team. In my mind, I, I, I picture, you know, these different, you know, I picture like a, like a piece of paper with different circles with little profile pictures on. And I imagine these dotted lines and these solid lines and these different connections between the team members, meaning a line of tension or a line of synergy or a line of similar work styles or a line of disagreement or political struggle or power struggle within the workplace. So that's what I'm looking at when I these these hidden lines that are in between all of us. Vigor is characterized by high levels of energy and mental resilience while working. And we can characterize, Tom, we've mentioned this before, we can characterize resilience as the variety of responses that we have when we face challenges. Dedication refers to being strongly involved in one's work and experiencing a sense of significance, enthusiasm, and challenge, which is something we talk about. People do like challenging work. Having challenging work that they like allows people to perform. It's necessary. It creates a level of stress. In order to perform, we need stress in our lives, not bad stress, not too much stress, but we have to have a certain level of stress that acts as a, 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 a trigger and provides energy. And then also what sticks out here to me is a sense of significance. That's where that attention piece that we spoke of falls in. And that's very important. And that can be led through either team management or connections within the team. Lastly here, absorption is characterized by being fully concentrating and concentrated and happily engrossed in one's work, whereby time passes quickly and one has difficulties with detaching oneself from work. One last line. In short, engaged employees have a high levels of energies and they're enthusiastic, meaning, and they're so immersed that time flies, meaning how can we take this and parallel that with pinpointing, as Ariana said, pinpointing where do we start? I always like to take these as how can we take this little, these little bits of, of nuggets and start to say, what is my team's level of vigor? 
What is their level of dedication? And what is their level of absorption individually and as a team? And then alternatively saying, what is their level of energy involvement and professional efficacy, which again is the opposite of burnout, so that we can start to identify and pinpoint what are some of the underlying things here that I as a manager, that I as a leader can say, now that I know, what can I do to increase or decrease any of those six particular factors as a starting point, Tom? So if if I was to just go through that system, or if I was to hire Dr. Jeremy Lukaba to come into my organization and ask those questions, can you then present me with a, a 10-step roadmap of how I get my team reengaged? Tom, I guess I didn't want to talk. I turned my mic off rather than on. <laughs> it's yes, and I love where you're going. Why hire an IO for your business development goals and to create a, an environment in the workplace to allow your employees to thrive? I love it, Tom. <laughs> yes. So th- those are types of things that we do. And we look at organizations v- very tailored to what they're what's going on. And we look at the challenges. We provide recommendations. We provide suggestions based on what we already know, meaning the studies that are out there, the data. And we we also help with the data collection so that we do it in a way that we make sure we know what we're measuring and we're measuring what we're supposed to be measuring and that we're using assessments. And we look at all the, the psychometric properties of it to make sure that it's a good assessment to use, whether it's especially determining a high stake situation versus a you know, hiring, you know, firing, promotion, those kinds of things versus your low stake situations, more like professional development and team building. All right. Thank you for that. Linda Ann, let's go back to you. I think one of the things that that needs to happen to engage employees from the leader is a willingness on their part to really understand what motivates each of the team members and are they, you know, can you stimulate that intrinsic motivation or are you using just techniques that are extrinsic, extrinsic, excuse me. And because sometimes I think leaders look at their team and they want this team to function all utilizing the same factors and techniques and things like that. And you really do need to go down to the individual level with each of your team members and understand how you get them to be motivated, whether some people are extrinsically um, motivated, but really you need to understand what it is that's going to get them to perform at that next level. And it needs to be done on an individual basis to apply it to the whole team and expect you to get where you want to go is you're just going to have people falling off that wagon all the time. So, So let me ask you, in your experience in HR, how many leaders are willing to take those steps? What percentage is it? I'm hoping it's at least 50%. I think there needs to be an education process before you get to the 50%. I don't think they even realize that level that, that they need to get to. Some are really, you know, I've worked with some that were really like, help me get there, help me get there. And others were, it was a little bit of a tooth and nail kind of thing. Do, do we have the wrong people in the wrong positions? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> And maybe we'll leave it at that and we'll go to Lee. You know, have I mentioned how brilliant Linda Ann is? I mean, all these things that I was thinking and she just whoom, stuck that right on out of there. I was like, wow, that woman is smart. <laughs> now, all joking aside, the 
she hit the nail on the head. I mean, you really have to take this down to an individual level because people are individuals. And as much as we'd like to think of a group, a group is made up of individuals. And, you know, and to kind of to kind of segue off of what Jeremy said, coming from an internal perspective, I mean, yes, bringing in an external IO consultant, bam, great idea. Uh, but if you don't have those kind of resources, but you have someone with the skills on the inside, so maybe you don't have the budget to do the uh, the assessments and all those cool things that IOs are known for and, and so good at, you can still do a lot of the same things from observational. I mean, maybe not quite as effectively or as quickly, but just from observation and getting to know those people, to know, do you, you know, to your point, do you have the right person in the right job? Because sometimes the motivation is just putting somebody in a different position, doing something that they find more interesting or something that they maybe they consider a step forward. Even if it laterally lateral on the org chart, it may be a step forward for them because it allows them to get that that challenge that we were talking about, to be able to move in that direction that they want to go. And also by the flip side of that is knowing the person that wants to stay exactly where they are. And leave them alone if they're doing a good job. Just by doing just a little bit of shuffling, you can, you know, streamline your team. You can increase your your morale. You can, you can improve the culture. But to do that takes an amazing amount of reflection and being able to admit maybe that wasn't the best decision and maybe we re- need to rethink that, uh, which is hard to do, and uh, for all of us. And so to be able to go, you know, I hired Bobby and put him in that position. Maybe that's not the right place for him. Maybe I need to rethink my decision and, you know, move Bobby somewhere else or even necessarily maybe he doesn't even need to be part of our organization anymore. It's something you have to to consider. But you can uh, if you really pay attention to this, you can rearrange your stuff uh, kind of on an ongoing basis. I mean, I worked for an organization that they did a complete reorg like every fiscal year which was chaotic. And I don't think you need to go quite to that level. But throughout your year, you can go, hey, look, we need to we need to rearrange our chess pieces a little bit so that we're playing that 4D chess instead of, you know, the normal 2D. And I think that you can really improve things within your organization and improve your retention and improve your morale and all these other cool things that we like to talk about. Well, but Lee, you know, you know, my company, all this sounds really, really good, but you know, it also sounds like a lot of work and, you know, we're so busy right now. Is there really an advantage for us to, to do this? Oh, without a doubt, it's a lot of work. But key thing is, is that I don't have to do it all today. You know, this is where planning comes in. This is where, where your strategic plan can come in to where we can set milestones for this quarter and next quarter and, you know, on and on and on to where I can say I can do this in bite-sized pieces. You know, the old adage of how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And this is the same kind of thing. We don't have to do it all right now, but the point is we have to do something. We have to make a move. You know, that whole thing, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, you know, and and even if you're not going quite like you do. And if it's two steps forward and one step back is still the cha-cha. We can make these progress without making it a huge, massive thing that's going to cause a lot of a lot of immediate resources and money and chaos and all that kind of stuff. We can do this in a in an orderly fashion. You know, just like you should be, you know, when the fire alarm goes off, you know, do it in an orderly fashion. We can do the same thing. All right, Maria, let's go to you. 
you know, um, we, we talked a little bit about engagement and, and Lee um, also mentioned some things I was thinking about, but uh, the higher a leader goes, the less engaged they become, right? Likely because of where they're at and what their responsibilities are. But for those leaders that believe that they are leading by having these weekly meetings and so-called engagement with their teams, are they trained, if you will, to understand the dynamics in the room week after week? And what are they doing with that? And is there an opportunity for somebody to train them to look at the room, to look at why Johnny isn't talking ever and why Sally is always bringing something up. And also as a leader, it's very important. Leading is sometimes like parenting. If a parent has more than one child, while they look at each child differently, it's very important to treat each child fairly. And it's no different with leading your employees. If there's favoritism that's evident or that value is expressed more towards one employee over another, you're going to have disengagement, you know, and, and unfortunately, it also creates animosity towards that employee who's being selected by the leader. They become their pawn inadvertently, unfortunately. So I think it's important for, you know, read, like you said earlier, reading a book does not make you a leader, you know, and there are many leaders who do spew the title of the book when they think they're giving you good advice. You know, um, I've, you know, I've experienced that myself. Um, Have you ever read the book? No, it's read the book, never asking, have you read the book? And oftentimes I've had a book given to me and without asking if I've read it and knowing the, you know, knowing what's in that book, I, I've not had the courage to say, well, you know, with all due respect, you're not exemplifying this either. And, and I think that's the, you know, the piece that we really have to think about. Are those leaders aware? of the dynamic that they're not necessarily creating, but allowing in that room. Yeah, I agree 100%. Sometimes those books cause more problems than good. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, I love what um, uh, Lee was saying, you know, about having the the patience to go through the steps that it takes and to, to leadership is a practice. So, um, and one of the things that, that we need to look at is, embracing some micro learning, right? We can only, you know, we can't drink from the fire hose. And so trying to implement all those kinds of things all at once when you read a book or or whatever, I've even seen some information that says only read seven pages of the book at a time because you can only absorb that much information and then use it. And so I think that we need to have some patience with ourselves in that process of, building our practice of leadership but but no doubt as everyone has said here leadership is work and it's a lot of work and it's a dedication that you have it's also very rewarding when you realize and care about the fact that you can impact someone's life by how you work with them by how you uplift them it's it's an amazing experience it but again you have to be willing to work skin your knee, you know, get up, try again, maybe even fall on your sword with that person you skinned the knee with and say, man, I messed up on this. Let's try this again. You know, those are all parts of the process of practice and leadership is a practice. But, But isn't it also true that leaders are afraid of criticism? 
like if if their team members start to criticize their leadership and if it gets to the leader above that leader, that could cause problems. So aren't I safer just not to look at the problems? Well, again, it depends on what your what your goal and motivation is. If it's to become a better leader, then no. And you know, if you if that's if it's some part of your career that you really want to be a leader and it's important to you and it's exciting to you, then no. And if you if you if people are giving you feedback about your leadership, as Brand, Brendan said, that's a gift, you know, and you can accept it or not, but it's a gift to get that. Otherwise, you can go through life, you know, like the emperor with no clothes. But but are people in the real world, you know, let's get back to the reality, as Jeremy says, are they accepting those positions of leadership because they want to be a leader or because of the increase in salary? I don't think that the what it means to be a leader has been communicated to them. I think they see it as a, a rung on the ladder. And then it's surprise, you're a leader. Uh, Dr. Ariane, let's go to you. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's really important to come back to this concept that for leadership, time and money and other investments, they pay off over time. It's not directly, but it's worth it. It's worth it for the leader themselves, it's worth it for the team, and it's worth it for the organization. So one example that I always find fascinating is delegation. Delegation is something that when you're beginning feels harder than not doing it at all. <laughs> You're trying to teach someone something. Sometimes from the very beginning, it requires training and practice and iteration, but you have to go through this like swoop of delegation for that person to become proficient. And then after that, it's just a lot of payoffs over time when you as the leader are no longer doing the task, but have someone to do the task for you. So that's, you know, the same as any other training, but it's essential. And Putting it off for the future is just engaging in short-term thinking rather than strategic thinking. But with leaders, I think kind of like Linda Ann was saying, it requires practice and patience. And so, Tom, the example you were just giving about feedback, I've seen that a lot of leaders have never been taught how to give feedback or practiced it. So at my last leadership consulting firm, we had a whole feedback model and we would take leaders through programs where we would practice giving feedback. And I think for some people, it can be obvious if you've been in this space for a while and or are just someone who intuitively is direct and gives a lot of feedback. But a lot of people have to normalize the process of giving feedback. So asking someone to give them feedback, providing a model of how the, the feedback should be given, practice accepting it. And so if you're not used to giving or receiving feedback, then it, it's like you say, it feels like criticism. And it feels like if my higher up, here's what you have to say, it's going to be bad. But if you're normalizing feedback as part of performance management, as it should be, it's just routine. It's not, I'm a horrible person. It's you have a small tweak for how I could deliver this. And you create space between the personalization and it just becomes normal routine where we all have opportunities for growth. Um, And the last thing I wanted to say, maybe two more things. One, also... Tone from the top is critical. I think that if we want good leaders, there needs to be buy-in from the very senior levels. If those people are not exhibiting strong leadership, that's going to be a challenge. If they're not supporting the practice or training, that's going to be a problem. Um, But lastly, leaders themselves also require inspiration. So we expect our leaders to inspire our teams, keep them motivated, keep them energized. But sometimes we have to help our leaders too in bringing them back to like the why of existing as an organization, for example, or why their contributions matter. 
because leaders often have a lot of pressures and responsibilities and can get also lost in the daily activity. So helping our leaders to stay inspired will help our workforce to stay inspired as well. Well, and I've often noticed that um, when it comes to those, these type of changes, while leadership may not be all that open to it, boy, the people on the teams are. So, you know, we've talked previously about leadership from below. So are there steps that, you know, if I'm on a team and I see there's a need for change and I want to support my leader, how do I approach them going, here's what I see and here's the direction I think we need to go? That's an interesting question, Tom, the concept of leading up. I think you can do it. I think it will depend on the context, how successful it's likely to be, Um, certain environmental contexts. You can only deliver the feedback and then it doesn't necessarily go further. But we've had this conversation of, you know, it's a relationship between you and your boss. And hopefully you can cultivate that together, give them feedback that that is supportive, give them good ideas that then grows the team. And eventually the trust builds where they trust what you have to say, believe it's with good intentions and might feel motivated to take different actions in the future. Great. Thank you for that. Lee, let's go to you. Yeah, I want to just kind of lead off of a couple of things that Ariana said. The um, I think the only thing harder than learning to delegate is teaching someone to delegate. And as you promote people who have not been in a management or leadership type position and you're trying to mentor and train them, part of that is teaching them how to delegate. I mean, I'm dealing with that right now. I've got a, I've got a supervisor who works for me that he just wants to do everything. And I'm having to, no, no, give that to this guy. And I'm in many cases having to direct the delegation. He's getting it, but it's so much easier and faster, as Ariana said, it's so much easier and faster for him to just do it. And then he knows it's done and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, all that. So that's, that's a challenge. Um, And so, uh, and the other thing is uh, on, on feedback is, you know, not only do you have to learn to give feedback, you have to learn to receive feedback. And a lot of people, even if they used to be really good at it, as they get higher up the food chain, they get less and less and they get out of the practice. And so when somebody does give them feedback, it's like, you know, as she said, it's like criticism because, you know, how dare you tell me I'm not doing, you know, the best thing ever. And I mean, just recently I gave some very frank feedback to my boss and he was a bit taken aback at first. And then as we progressed through our conversation and I expressed the fact that I was concerned, you know, for him, not just complaining. And then since then, we've had several very good conversations, but he had to first get to a place where he could accept it, you know, without firing me. And then we could have those conversations that we can address things and think, you know, we're, we're slowly kind of shifting the, the trajectory a little bit because, you know, I'm closer to some things than he is. And then I'm having to do that with, you know, the guy underneath me because he's closer to things than I am to try to get these, these, uh, this information all the way up. Because, you know, I learned a long time ago, never be the senior guy with a secret because that will blow up and you're the guy held in the bag. So always make sure that that information goes right on through you, right on up to the next person, because, you know, you may have to get it to someone who's got the authority to do something about it anyway, but you also don't want to be the one that gets blamed for something that's not actually your fault. Um, I think this is great advice, Lee, but I can see that conversation going wrong in a hundred different ways. Um, Will you write a book 
about how to have those conversations. Because <laughs> once again, I need a 10 step roadmap. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I should. Maybe that should be my next gig. Uh, it is very difficult. It, it really is. You know, the whole leading up concept is fraught with peril. And uh, you do have to be very, very careful as you tiptoe through that landmine because some people are never going to be, you know, open to that. And so you really have to do, you know, just like we were talking about earlier with the small steps. You have to start really small and figure out what the appetite is and the tolerance, because if you just go in and, you know, what we used to call in the military, if you go in and puke on the boss's shoes, you better figure out if the boss is going to take it or if you're going to pay for it or how much you're going to pay for it. And so you want to take that in smaller in smaller uh, doses. Yeah, agreed. And and Jeremy Seabop Publishing, <laughs> got to make that a thing. Uh, uh, Brendan, we got about six minutes left. Let's go to you. Thank you. I'll be fast. So I just wanted to piggyback on some of Ariana's points about the making as a leader, what questions should you be saying or what should you be saying to make sure that you're connecting with your direct report? So when you are talking about either delegating things or just having a conversation, it's asking those questions. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? Did I leave something out? Is there anything I can clarify you? That that phrase goes a very long way. I, I posted this in the chat. It's something Jeremy said. I will tell you this works absolute wonders with people. It is, what, am, what have I not asked that you want me to ask? Or what were you expecting to me to ask? Works absolute wonders. And if you think they're holding back, then you pull another Jeremy and you just don't say anything and you let them fill the silence. And that works really well. I, I wanted to talk on what Lee was saying, where a lot of these conversations, like he was talking about with his boss, it's there's the ego that comes into play and there's too much of uh, a focus on being right and not doing what is right. And I experienced that a lot. So uh, focus on doing what's right and not necessarily being right, because that's more important. And um, the last thing I wanted to touch on is, is when we're talking about leading, generally we're talking about leading a team or leading an individual. And what I keep seeing more frequently is that people culturally in their organization are calling themselves a team, but in reality, they're not a team. They're just a collection of individuals. Yes, so. I, I think that's rampant. And thank you very much for that, Brendan. So Jeremy, let's come back to you because I'm kind of sitting here going, you know, if I owned a large company and I had a hundred teams, why don't I just hire a hundred IOs to lead those teams? Oh, that's a good question. Maybe for a topic of conversation, uh, we it's it all. It, a lot of it does come down to perspective, and it also comes down to what do we already know, and how can we? I go back to what Ariana was saying. How do we start to pinpoint, and then go from there? The I want to read uh, two, three more excerpts from this. Um, it's it's Bakker, B-A-K-K-E-R. And I'll mention that Ariana gave a shout out to the Bakker job demands resource model. So if you're interested in more that this particular researcher has, please check that out. But I do want to mention, this is a uh, part of the literature review of this article we're looking at. There was a study done, interviews. Several of these interviewees indicated that they changed jobs once they were no longer challenged and were able to find meaning in other organizations or occupations. I wanted to mention that because I had mentioned that people do enjoy challenging work. And here is some validation for that. Also, interesting, engaged employees are no supermen. They do feel tired after a long day's work. However, they describe their tiredness as a rather rather pleasant, pleasant state because it's associated with positive accomplishments. 
And also engaged employees are not addicted to their work. They enjoy other things outside of work. Unlike workaholics, they do not work hard because of a strong and irresistible inner drive, but because working for them is fun. And we can't have work at fun. We're not talking circus, circus, and uh, these other, you know, balloons everywhere fun, but work can be fun. Work can be fun when we're challenged and work can be fun when we are, when we are working on, especially things we like to do, but we, when we can incorporate the skills and the passions that we have even into the most mundane jobs. So there are things that managers and leaders can start to focus on. And then one quick thing on job resources. Previous studies have consistently shown that job resources, such as social support from colleagues and supervisors, performance feedback, skill variety, autonomy, and learning opportunities are positively associated with work engagement. Tom, this brings me back to, I love how you play devil's advocate. Well, what if we don't have time to give performance feedback, offer skill variety, learning opportunities, give them different types of support in these job resources? The bottom line is you're probably just not going to have an engaged workforce. So it's it's a choose. And then go back to what Brendan was saying and what Lee was saying about it's part of the process. It's not something that has to be done overnight, but it can definitely be done. Well, thank you very much for that, Jeremy. And we've only got about a minute or two left. Uh, and next week, we're going to be talking about something that I wish you would have warned me of in early January. It's why your New Year's resolution didn't work, how to finally overcome that workplace challenge with workplace habits. Uh, you want to give us a little preview on that? I do not, because I, <laughs> I th- I'm pretty sure that uh, Dr. Destiny Pre will be leading the conversation that uh for next week so i'm gonna i'll leave that as a big you know sit on the edge of your of your seats i will introduce we have hot off the presses i think we just uh put this out maybe yesterday in august we are doing our uh it's a 2023 cbok three-day experience thursday friday saturday august 10 11 12 the tickets are available it's free. It's a free ticket. You can go to the event section. And we just finalized hot off the presses, the descriptions and the actual sessions that will be involved, which will be added to that event description soon, uh, probably by today or tomorrow. But I'm going to read off some of what a little bit of what everyone can expect. We will have and these are going to be sessions that run anywhere from 30 minutes, maybe an hour that run from 10 to four each of these days. And on Saturday, around six o'clock, we're going to have an in-person meetup in the Virginia, Maryland area at a currently undisclosed location because we haven't finalized it yet. But if it's what we're thinking, it's going to be a super fun location. During those three days, we're going to have an expert member panel. We're going to have a pathfinder for our career pathfinder member panel. And all these are all these are going to be discussion based. Building your network through building your network through speed networking. Shout out. Thank you, Lee, for that idea. How to drive the field of IO with authenticity and professionalism. How to determine your niche areas of expertise. And Tom, I, Tom, you and I were texting and I said, we've got a special slot for you on Saturday. Public speaking, confidence and competence. So that's the one that I'm just now letting you know exactly what it is. Optimizing your online presence and brand, establishing yourself as an IO resource, the importance, sorry, and 
the importance of evidence-based research, thought leadership in the field of biopsychology, how to be a leader of the charge, the competitive advantage, hire an IO psychology professional, job search interviewing, sorry, job search strategies and interviewing techniques, IO psychology experience scavenger hunt, supporting our IO psychology grad students, and an experience recap and momentum session. So get your tickets. They're free, cbock.com, and we'll see you there. Tom? Well, I know where I'll be in August, but um, but let me ask you, because I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I get to sit here every week and ask questions of all of you people. Is there going to be a panel opportunity for you know everyone who's really enjoying the Work Cookie podcasts to actually ask a question to Dr. Jeremy Lukaba or Dr. Ariana Thompson or Linda Ann Rogers? Would, would, will that be included as well? You mean, will we be at the panels at, well, at the events? Yeah. Is there going to be an opportunity for people who listen to the podcast to actually connect with the panel and ask questions? During during the event? Well, during the three days. During the three days. Oh, yeah. If you're listening to the podcast, you know, come on in. It's going to be live. It's going to be discussion. You can ask questions of uh, anyone who's there. We're going to have special panelists, I guess you would say. And it will be it'll be discussion. It's not going to be Here's a presentation. Here's another presentation. It's going to be engaging. It's going to be engaging. And we're, we're going to, oh, and we're, we're uh, looking to include a micro credentialing component so that our participants can actually walk away with something. In that regard, it will be an IO, th- industrial organizational thought leadership micro credential. But yes, everyone, it's going to be, you know, we're all friends and family. The whole thing we strive is community and belonging for IO. So come join us and just be part of part of us, what we're doing. Well, I'm glad that the oldest profession that you've never heard of is starting to get heard about. So that's right. Congratulations. All right. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And thank you everyone who contributed today. And thank you to everyone who is listening because the Work Cookie podcast just continues to grow in numbers. Uh, so spread the word and let's, um, let's make sure every boss on the planet hears these podcasts and we have effective change for the future. All right. Thanks, everyone. And Jeremy, if you want to count us out, we'll see everybody next week. Well done. Well said, Tom. And excellent today, as always. Thank you so much, all the contributors. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.